Well, welcome back to the Palo Pee Christian Church Sunday morning sermon podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, lead pastor here, senior pastor, teaching pastor. We're still kind of talking about what's my title. I don't know. I'm the guy that gets up every week and begins to teach the Bible to us. And, you know, I love you and I love serving as your pastor. And uh, we come today to a four-week mini-series in the Upside Down Kingdom, a look, of, look at the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in this, we're going to be talking about one of those very difficult passages to preach for many people. For me, it's God has kind of lifted a burden, and I've been okay when I've been able to teach this. Praise God for that, because there is no fear when you are bringing the Word of God into, into, uh, into play here. You know, I start with the question, how can you know what's important to somebody? And one of the, the ways that you can tell what is important to somebody is how much they talk about it, right? You may have a friend who just goes on and on and on about a certain hobby of theirs or a political stance of theirs or whatever. I, I always think of Flo from the progressive commercials who cannot stop talking about saving you money with bundling. And, you, know, you, you know what's important to somebody by how much they talk about that thing. So if you did a study through the Bible, you're going to find something eye-opening, I, I believe, about what is important to God. What, what does God talk about a lot? Well, you're going to find out what God talks about a lot. Um, when you when you read the fact that the, much of the Bible is centered around certain things, Richard Foster, the man who wrote the book about the spiritual disciplines that we preached through a few years ago, also wrote a book called Money, Sex, and Power. And you'd think that those are issues and concepts that man talks about a lot, but you know Foster's point was that when you read the Bible, you will find out that God talks a lot about money sex, and power. These three things are, are so connected with our spiritual lives. And these are three of the most dominant issues found in Scripture, the things that Jesus taught about, the things that you'll find over and over and over are, are what God thinks about money and sex and, and power. Now, what's funny is that all three of those are a natural part of the life that God gave to us. But none of them are bad in and of themselves. But when we allow them to get out of hand... When we let them control us, then they have this amazing evil power to corrupt if we're not careful. Whenever we experience those things, whenever we get our hands on money or sex or power, and, and it's outside of God's design, those things become God-like in our lives, and they begin to exert spiritual power over us. So, like I said, this morning I want to start a series, a four-week series related to one of those issues, and it's an issue that is... It's critical, I believe, for Christians to address, not because of a need that a church has, but because of the responsibility that we have in teaching believers, disciples, about the full counsel of God. Now, it's a subject that a lot of people who keep their distance from church, this is why. They hate to hear this, and no wonder since the teaching and the application of the subject has been actually abused by leaders, Christian leaders, churches throughout the ages. So brace yourself, because in these next several weeks, we're going to be focusing in on what Jesus teaches about money. Now, let me ask, how are you feeling as you hear that? Are you getting a little anxious? 
Hands starting to sweat a little bit. You making plans now for an early vacation for the next few weeks? Now, I, I hope not. I hope not. Because I, I hope that we're going to approach the subject in, in a way, <coughs> excuse me, that you can actually understand God's heart on the matter. Now, now let, let me start right now. Money, sex, power, those things are not bad. Money is not bad, okay? Money is not bad. People actually misquote a scripture where they say that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says it's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. You you know what other roots of evil are? The, The love of power, the love of sex, where you put that as your God, and it controls you rather than you using what God has given to us for our good. Money is neither bad nor good. Money just is. It's a tool. And like a tool, like a hammer or like a chainsaw, it can be very beneficial. Or if you look at a couple of scars on my body, I'll let you know that they can also be very destructive depending on who's using it or for what purpose it's being used. Some Christians who really do want to be more spiritually centered, they actually become very uncomfortable when we talk about money. Uh, Similar to the way that many people are uncomfortable when we talk about sex. But what's important to keep in mind, whether we're on the fringes of the faith, or we want to grow deeper, but we're just kind of uncomfortable with with this subject of money because we don't know how to to deal with it, we need to understand that the power that money and sex and uh, and, and control or power have in our life only becomes unrighteous if we pursue them apart from God's wisdom and guidance. Now, to be clear, many of the Old Testament patriarchs were very, very well off. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all blessed with material possessions. Being blessed by material possessions is not bad at all. It's a blessing from God that he chooses to bestow on certain people. Jesus would actually eat with the rich and the privileged he would allow people to, who, who were well off to actually support his ministry. He didn't condemn their, their resources or their money. So money's not evil. But it's our relationship to money that can actually turn rotten. In the passage uh, that we're going to read today, there's a lot to learn about our relationship with the resources that God has provided for us. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse um, 19, and we're just going to read about five or six verses here. And uh, so here we go. This is what it says. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, you may have noticed in your Bible that the word there, money, is capitalized. 
Well, that's because Jesus used the Hebrew term mammon there, and he's referring to mammon to wealth, almost like he was personifying mammon as, as a person, as, as an entity, as, a, as the source of, uh, of, of, of uh, the things that we can serve. He describes it as a master that we can serve. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a strong statement. Like I said, that almost sounds like good old-fashioned idolatry when you make money your master. There's a truth that was sung about by singer Bob Dylan. He says it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. You're going to have to serve somebody. We as humans, we tend to serve what we deem to be the source of our security. The, the mafia, for example, in Prohibition time famously would take advantage of that tendency. They would offer protection for businesses in exchange for money. The businesses who caved under the pressure, they were never free. They were never free. They served those mafia bosses who offered them protection. In the fact that they, they said, we will give you money so that we might be secure. And they ended up serving those who actually then or the ones that were their biggest threat. Jesus is saying that if you choose to serve God, then you cannot be controlled by the idol of money, and vice versa. If you decide that you're going to serve the God of money, you cannot choose to serve the God of the universe. See, there can't be two controlling centers in our life, because at some point we're going to have to make a choice. The pathways of following God and following money will diverge at some point. And so that's why Jesus spoke here of our treasure. And he's talking about what we value most. And, and, and he says that, that that which we value most, our treasure is vital in our choice to follow him. Our relationship with money and our relationship with God, we must get into proper perspective. Now, now for example, there's a tax collector in the, in the, uh, in the Gospels named Zacchaeus. He was a man who had sold out his people and his religion just to make some money. That's what the tax collectors would do. They, they were Jewish men uh, who decided to work for the oppressive Roman government. And uh, they were basically uh, tools from the government, um, and they would rob their own people. And, and so they were kind of a traitor to their people, a traitor to their religion, and they were doing it just so that they could get rich. When Zacchaeus met Jesus and was accepted by Jesus, Zacchaeus stood up. His life was changed. He says, listen, in, in Luke chapter 19, look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which he had, he said, I will pay back four times the amount. You see, when he was confronted with the lordship of Jesus, Zacchaeus knew that he had to relinquish his service to mammon or to money because you can't serve two masters at the same time now it would be wise for the disciple of jesus living in god's upside down kingdom to now recognize how easy it is for money to become that source of our security the source of our significance and when that happens we must see how loudly that source of security and significance demands our allegiance and so here's how the Bible actually really says it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager 
for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Just look at our world. Consider our culture. You wonder how many griefs have pierced us. (laughs) How many griefs are at our doorstep every day? How many crimes out there are committed just for financial gain? How how many corporate executives have gone to prison for fraud and corruption, but not only of their company, but corruption of their character? How many marriages end due to financial conflict? Have you ever noticed that the more anxious we become about losing something, the more tightly we want to hold on to it? With every act or thought or worry, the material world actually grows in power. And it's there that Jesus offers us a way out, a way for us to see a bigger picture, a way to loosen our grip. And that's what this series is going to be all about. Now, there are just a few things I want to lay out for us today, this week, before we actually dive into some great things, things that God actually really cares about in the life of the disciple that go way beyond money, way beyond money, because they're at the, the, the root of who our character it really is. And then it manifests itself in the idea of money or the way that we use it or the way that we think about it. So there's just a a couple things I want to lay out this week before we dive into those things. And first of all, the, the thing I want you to understand is, number one, it's all God's anyway. Everything that you think that you own is already God's. It's God's anyway, okay? A long time ago, I said, hey, how many people own a computer? And uh, probably half, maybe two-thirds of our congregation raised their hands. And I said, okay, let, let, let me read you from Psalm chapter 24, where it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then I asked them a question. I said, how many of you own a computer? And some of them got it and didn't raise their hands, but probably about half the congregation was like confused, thought that I maybe was uh, having a little bit of a brain hiccup there. And so, and I asked the same question, so they raised their hand, and then I read Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then I said, how many of you own a computer? And a, now about, now about a, a, a two-thirds of the congregation got it, and they started snickering a little bit, and a, but about a third of the people still raised their hand. And I said, okay, um, l- let me read you this passage of Scripture from Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then I asked, now how many of you own a computer? And at that point, just about five people were not catching what was going on. If the, if the earth is the Lord's, and if everything in the earth is the Lord's, then your computer that you think you own, your car that you think you own, your house that you think you own, your clothes that you think you own, you don't own them. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. To Job, God declares, you know what? Everything under heaven belongs to me. In Exodus 19, God says to Moses, all the earth is mine. You see, there's nothing you have in your possession that was not given to you by God and is not owned by God ultimately. When you came into this world, you had nothing. Excuse me. When you leave this world, you will have nothing. Ownership, ownership, think about this. Ownership is a worldly concept that's actually a spiritual lie. Ownership is a worldly concept that's a spiritual lie because it's all God's. He's the owner. Number two, 
if God owns it all, anyway, number two, we are God's managers. So if we, if we don't own all those things that we think we have, then why do we have it? Why do we have those things? Well, God has entrusted them to us to manage. Now, the old-timey Bible word for manager is steward. A steward, whenever you read that in Scripture, is someone who manages or administers the property or affairs of somebody else. See, from the very beginning, God has told mankind that we are to be stewards. We were to be stewards of the earth. We were to be stewards of the resources that he provides for us. We are to be stewards of the gospel message. Being a steward, easy concept to get into our minds, but it's harder to actually put into practice than you would think. Because you you know what happens when your precious little baby begins to talk and learns that awful word, mine, mine. You know, then if it was his or not, if it was hers or not, if she wants it, it's mine, mine. You, you, you ask them to share. No, it's mine. See, our sinful nature betrays the truth. And it deceives us into thinking that this is mine. It's mine. Sure, the Bible often uses language, oftentimes, to refer to certain people as owners, But if you study deeper, you'll see that that ownership is really just an extended management, if you will. A lot like the Old Testament patriarch Joseph. He was a servant. He was a servant in Potiphar's household. And he became the steward where the master, Potiphar, had no need to concern himself with anything in the household because Joseph had been a good and faithful servant who was elevated then into the position of steward where he would make decisions based on how Potiphar would have made decisions. And so Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything because he knew that Joseph had the same mind as he did. The difference between an owner and a steward that is most important is that the steward will always be held accountable to the owner about how they've managed the owner's property and possessions. So when it comes to things that God has entrusted to you as his stewards, you're either going to be faithful managers like Joseph or you're going to be an embezzler. Ow. Ow. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14 says, But who am I and who are my people that you enable us to give so generously? Everything comes from you. We give you only what has come from your hands. As a parent, have you ever really thought about Christmas time with your kiddos? When they're too young to even have a part-time job. See, we enjoy gift giving. It's special, but it's kind of funny when you think about it because when they give you the present and you love what they give you, whose money did they use to give you that gift? Whose money did they spend? It was yours. But they had a joy of taking your money and spending it back on you and giving it back to you. See, that ultimately describes the true nature of money and material possessions in our life. Everything that we do, every cent that we spend, every dollar that we donate, it's all God's. It always has been. We're just given the opportunity then to give a portion back to him in acknowledgement that he is the owner and we are the stewards. Ownership is an illusion, like I said. It's an illusion that will be shattered when the true owner says it's time to give an account. As for the disciple, the the one living in God's upside-down kingdom, your life will not be measured by how much you had, but how well you used what you had. 
in respect to the king. So I'm not calling on any of us to renounce wealth or possessions. I'm simply calling us to start to think about life and possessions in a different key, if you will. It's a call to embrace a new role. No longer seeing yourself as the owner of anything, but now as the faithful steward or the manager of what the owner, who is the Lord, has entrusted to you. Now, contrary to the secular viewpoint, well, if you don't own it, you're not going to take care of it. Being a steward should increase our care and dil- diligence in the use of property and wealth. It's, it's like when I would borrow, when I was in youth ministry, when I would borrow a van from somebody. If I wanted to borrow that van again, and you always did because you always had too many kids to transport different places. But if I wanted to use those precious uh, resources that were in the church, the people who had the seven, eight passenger vans, even the 15 passenger vans or the 12 passenger vans, you wanted to return that in better condition than what you borrowed it. Because then the next time you wanted to borrow it, they say, sure, you know, I wanted to get it clean anyway. Why don't you take it, Trey? See, that's the whole idea. You, you, you know, it's, it's, if you don't own it, you're not going to take care of it. No, that's ridiculous. When you realize that God has given you these things, you're going to take care of them. It's not ours. And it's going to be taken back by God one day. So you want to keep it as clean as you can and return it in better shape than you got it because God's going to hold us responsible for what we do with it. Jesus told a parable about an owner who entrusts his wealth to three of his servants. To, to one servant, he gave five portions of his wealth. To another one, he gave three portions. And to the third, he gave just one portion. And the owner then goes away, trusting that the servants are going to act responsibly uh, with the, the portions that he gave to them. And on his return, he finds that the, the two, first two servants have doubled what he entrusted with them. They had actually brought the van back cleaner than what they had actually taken the van out, Right? They had used the resources to make sound decisions based on what they knew of their master. Okay? They, they knew his heart. They knew his mindset. And so he commended them for acting in that way, in, in the way that he would have acted. He, he commends them for their good stewardship. But that third servant was afraid of squandering what he had been given, and so he, he just buries it, hides it, until the owner returns. He actually thinks that he's doing the, the wisest thing, protecting the portion that he had been given. But the owner called him into accountability and was angry because the servant did not act wisely. He didn't understand what the resources were designed to be used for. So there was no return on that investment at all. The owner then takes the, the portion away from that man and gives it to the one who had been wise in his management of the resources. See, when you manage the place and the possessions of another, that involves a special connection. If you were staying in the vacation home of a friend, for example, you would hopefully be careful with that home because you know and you love your friend. You respect them. You know what's important to them. To know the heart of God should keep us from foolishly missing the opportunities to take care of those things that he has entrusted to us that really belong to him. So in closing, and as a way of laying the groundwork for the next few weeks, let's ask these questions. How can we confront the corrupting and controlling power of money in our lives? In Scripture, we're going to find three dynamics that God emphasizes as restoring us to a right relationship with resources. Contentment, trust, and generosity. 
Each one of those things are going to be a vital part of our embracing our lives as managers rather than owners. Now, as, as we close, I'm going to give you some practical steps today to take, beginning today, beginning this week, in order to prepare your heart for what's going to be taught in the next uh, several weeks. And please remember, this isn't about a budget for the church. It's not about a building project. It's not about sinking the mortgage. Even if Palm Butte Christian Church had all the money it would ever need to accomplish all the various ministries and missions that have been undertaken, I would still be teaching you these concepts. Why? Because it's not about the money. It's about your heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So God doesn't need your money. He doesn't even want your money because, remember, it's all his anyway, right? What does he want? He wants your heart. He wants what you can actually give to him that is yours, that you're giving back to him freely of your own accord, of your, out of your own love. He wants your heart. But Jesus is saying that you'll, you'll know who has your security, who has your, the significance in your life. You'll know who has your allegiance by looking at where your treasure has been placed. You know, I love you, and I love serving as your pastor, and it would thrill me more and more to see more and more people finding contentment, learning to trust God, finding new ways to be generous on all occasions. That's why I'm excited about the study, and that's why we're going through this. It's not about money. It's about you. It's about your relationship with God. So here's your homework today, this week. Number one, uh, this week, I want you to take some time to get in touch with your feelings about this subject. What are your feelings about money? What are your attitudes about money? What were you taught by your mom and dad about money? When it comes to money, what are you feeling right now? Are there fears that surround its role in your life? Why do you spend? How do you feel about debt, for example? What's really important to you? So that's the first one. Take some time to get in touch with your feelings. Number two, I want you to consider... What in your life are wants and what in your life are needs? God says that he will provide all that we need. Okay. So I want you to start to think about the things that you have in your life or even the desires. Are they wants? I really want this. Or are they needs? And then I need you to ask yourself, have you sometimes gotten those two categories confused at times? Philip Yancey, author and preacher, tells a story about a spiritual seeker who decided to confront a way-too-busy life by spending a few days in a monastery. And uh, the monk who greeted him said, I hope your stay is a blessed one. And then as he led the man to the the little room that he was going to stay in, the, uh, the monk said, if you need anything, let us know, and we'll teach you how to live without it. <laughs> I love that. So consider what you're in your life is wants and what are needs. And then number three, I want you to review how you're spending money. And I want you to consider ways to possibly reduce your expenses. There's a true story about a group of employees at a certain business. They had felt the need to, to purchase more cabin, uh, yeah, file cabinets. Uh, they, in fact, they wanted $50,000 worth of more file cabinets. Several departments had been waiting a long time, uh, and so in desperation, they they decided to pool their resources to to, to purchase these file cabinets. But the the managers thought of something, and instead of buying anything that first day, they decided to stop all business 
for a half of a day and to do a file inspection slash clean out. The instructions were simple. Everyone was to look inside every file folder and purge every non-essential piece of paper. One man, for example, had four large cabinets in his office space, and he was requesting two more. But after this cleanup, this purge, he had actually found that he had trimmed down everything to just one single file cabinet. And the same was true for pretty much everybody else in the office. The cleanup went so well that half day that the business had closed. The cleanup went so well that when everybody had finished, the business actually was able to auction off dozens of unneeded cabinets. And they made a profit where they were getting ready to spend $50,000. Sometimes what we think that we need isn't really what we need. When we pray, we learn to distinguish between what is necessary and what is not necessarily. And that then brings me up to number four. I, I, I want you to prayerfully, prayerfully consider making at least one choice this week that begins to free you of the power of unhealthy attachments and, 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 and all of that reliance and security on money. And then for accountability's sake, I want you to share that decision, whatever you've decided to do with somebody or somebodies who love you and who can then support you and pray for you. Now, I know that it can be hard to let go of what we become attached to. In fact, it sure seems like even Jesus knew it wasn't going to be easy. And that's another reason why he spoke about stewardship a lot. But the moment we know that it's truly the right thing to do, the, the, the best thing to pursue, I'm confident that the Lord will empower us to live in the place where he has led us. All right. Well, that was it for today. I want to thank, again, my executive producer, Lisa Welly, uh, for getting this thing up and running. I, I, I love uh, all the people who have made this technological possible, technological f- technology possible, Steve Pittman. And, and uh, remember that we uh, do stream uh, our services on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30. We're getting ready to. We're trying to find a way of actually doing our traditional service at 11.30 as well. And uh, that uh, you are always invited if you're in the Central Oregon area, in Powell Butte, uh, Oregon. Uh, if you are around on a weekend, we'd love to have you join us for worship and, and uh, study in God's Word together. All right, well, that that's, wraps it up for this week. Hopefully you will uh, tune in next week and uh, learn a little bit more about what it means to be content with what we have. All right, 